You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Deke Hager. And I'm Lucy Kellison. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, October 24th, 2022. In today's feature report, Big Talk producer Michael Glab speaks with Hannah Gregory, Forestry Director of Canopy Bloomington. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB environmental correspondent Rowan Hesting reports on the latest Climate Action Resilience Committee meeting where officials discussed the city's climate action plan. But first, your daily headlines. At the Bloomington City Council meeting on October 19th, the council heard from Assistant Director of Sustainability, Lauren Clemens, who presented on the Climate Action Plan. Clemens shared that the city is working on achieving carbon neutrality by 2050 and has already reduced greenhouse gas emissions by 16% from 2006 to 2018 and is expected to decrease our emissions by another 9% by 2030. Bloomington's greenhouse gas emissions are predominantly generated by consumption of electricity and natural gas to heat and cool buildings across the community. In 2018, 1.3 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent were emitted in Bloomington, and between 2008 and 2018, emissions have dropped 16%, in part due to reduced emissions associated with energy production. Under a business-as-usual scenario, we can expect that greenhouse gases are projected to decrease an additional 9% by 2030 and 43% by 2050. Successful implementation of the actions and strategies in the Climate Action Plan will be necessary to achieve an additional roughly 322,000 metric ton of emission reductions modeled. Clemens said that in the three years that they have been working on the Climate Action Plan, the city has started a total of 112 projects. The report itself is only a glimpse of the overall effort underway across the community to address climate issues. Overall, the city and community are making significant progress to advance our sustainability and climate goals as defined by these two plans and are prioritizing those actions that warrant the most urgent attention. These are just some of the goals the city is working on to help mitigate the effects of climate change. Clemens shared that the complete 2022 Climate Action Plan report is available on the city's website at bloomington.in.gov sustainability. During the meeting, counselors heard an appropriation ordinance of $100,000 for an emergency reproductive health care program to help address the impacts of Indiana's near-total ban on abortion. Bloomington Corporation Counsel Beth Kate provided background on the state abortion ban. After the Dobbs decision, as you are also very aware, the Indiana General Assembly met in the summer to review and to revise Indiana's abortion laws. And on August 5th, the General Assembly passed and the governor signed into law Senate Bill 1, which imposes a near total ban on abortions performed in the state. So basically, SB1 bans all abortions performed in the state from the moment of fertilization, except for the following things. 
uh, abortions that occur in the first 10 weeks of post-fertilization age of the fetus when the pregnancy resulted from rape or incest. When reasonable medical judgment indicates that abortion is needed to prevent death or a serious risk of substantial and irreversible physical, but not psychological or emotional or economic, harm to the patient, or when reasonable medical judgment indicates that there's a fetal anomaly that is reasonably certain to result in the child's death within three months of live birth. So there are some abortions that are still lawful in the state, but those exceptions are very narrow. And what SB1 also did was to make access to even those abortions much more difficult by requiring that all abortions that may still lawfully be performed in the state be performed in either a hospital or in a hospital-owned ambulatory uh, surgical center, outpatient surgical center, rather than in the clinics that for decades have been providing the vast majority of abortions safely and effectively in the state. Uh, as you may know, abortion services in hospitals and ASCs, those ambulatory surgical centers, are severely restricted geographically here in Indiana, and they are substantially more expensive than clinics uh, and clinic-based abortion care. So what that means is that access to even the few abortions that people still can get lawfully in the state under SB1 uh, are nearly impossible as a practical matter, especially for residents with low incomes. Uh, studies show that the risk of death associated with childbirth is substantially higher than that associated with abortion. And as you may also be aware, Indiana's uh, infant and uh, maternal mortality rates are among the uh, worst in the nation. Kate provided an overview of the ordinance and walked through the current status of the abortion ban. It is seeking to obtain some funding to help ameliorate the impacts that people will feel as a result of SB1. As you know from the recent budget hearings, there was an additional $100,000 appropriation in the budget for 2023 for the same fund that we are talking about tonight. This is a fund that Director Calendar Anderson will describe more fully in a minute. Um, but that will be an open competitive grant program for community organizations to come forward and seek funding to assist residents who are experiencing negative impacts as a result of SB1. Now I should say that there uh, is litigation afoot challenging SB1. There have been three lawsuits filed to date that I'm aware of uh, that are challenging the uh, uh, the validity of SB1 under a combination of state statutory and constitutional claims and some federal constitutional claims as well. Currently, there is a stay on the operation of SB1. It went into effect about a week after the law took effect. So the law was in effect for a week. And then a trial judge in one of these cases issued uh, an injunction staying the uh, operation of that law pending further litigation over the merits um, of the claims against it. There was a hearing uh, as well last week on Friday in another one of the cases that has been filed uh, seeking an injunction as well, but it's already in place. In the first case that I mentioned, the Indiana Supreme Court has now agreed to review that case. It has set a hearing for January 12th and it has left in place the injunction. What that means is that SB1 is not in operation at the moment. 
okay, for now. Uh, and then the Supreme Court will hear the challenges to the, to the law. The trial court judge had found, as you see a reference to in my memo, uh, with Appropriation Ordinance 22-04, that there was a reasonable likelihood that uh, SB1 does in fact violate state constitutional provisions. Uh, the Indiana Supreme Court will determine that uh, in January or thereafter. It's unclear how long it will take for the court to rule. But in the meantime, the litigation uncertainty and the uh, needs that attend the restriction of access to abortion um, will still prompt uh, for us a desire to make funding available to address those concerns, to address the needs that have arisen. And that's really what we're here asking for your help with tonight in the form of Appropriation Ordinance 22-04. Director of the Community and Family Planning Resources Department, Beverly Callender Anderson, explained how the grant program would be funded and made the council aware of the deadlines for the grant application. The fund um, will be managed out, if, if this is appropriate, it will be managed out of the Community and Family Resources Department. We've put together uh, an application for this and developed a five-member panel of community members um, to evaluate each of the applications. Um, if this goes through tonight, we'll have our grant application deadline. It will be November 7th. Um, and... Um, looking to turn them around by November 18th. So it'll be a pretty quick process. Um, the dates of the, the grant could be over a year. It wouldn't be on the calendar year, so they wouldn't have to spend it this year, but those dates would be, could be December 1st to December of next year or whatever, so it could overlap. Um, but one of the um, Things that we do say in the grant, I mean, the funding requirements for the grants is that, is that the funds are used only for services identified in the memor memorandum of understanding that we'll present. Grant funds cannot be used contrary to valid local, state, or federal law. Agencies will provide biannual reports, um, so one in it's the six-month period and then one at the end of the grant term. And um, that failure to comply with any of these could could you know, prompt us to call back the grant. So it's it's a lot like um, other grants that we have done out of our department, uh, not a very complicated process, which would help with the quick turnaround. The council voted unanimously to approve the appropriation ordinance. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on October 26th. Up next, WFHB environmental correspondent Rowan Hesting provides coverage on the latest Climate Action Resilience Committee meeting, where officials discussed the city's climate action plan. We turn to Rowan Hesting for more. On October 18th, the Bloomington City Council Climate Action and Resilience Committee met to discuss plans to make a transition from gas-powered lawn, garden, and off-road equipment to machinery utilizing electric alternatives. 
this falls within the transportation and land use sector of Bloomington's Climate Action Plan and is titled Strategy TL1-I. This discussion, headed by Councilmember Matt Flaherty, included benefits, an action plan, and a breakdown of the impact on local op- government operations and the community scale. Strategy TL1-I plans to reduce the city of Bloomington's lawn and garden emissions to below 35,000 metric tons annually through a switch to electrically powered construction equipment. Benefits to this include reduced emissions as well as improved air quality and lowered rate of local air pollution. The first step of this introduced action plan is to introduce a policy to replace city off-road and lawn equipment with electric and low-carbon fuel alternatives at the time of their replacement. Traditional engines may be optional with a required proof of need. This policy will establish emission standards testing biofuel preferences for any combustion vehicles remaining in the equipment fleet. A core piece of this initial step of the action plan is the encouragement of county school district as well as Indiana University to develop and implement their own similar policies. Step two of the action plan is to develop an incentive program to convert fuel burning lawn equipment, such as lawnmowers and blowers to electric. Step three intends to establish a gas powered lawn equipment phase out ordinance. Transitioning to lawn equipment powered by alternative clean fuels into decreased noise pollution levels. If this strategy is one that piques your interest or leaves you with questions regarding how this will impact you and your community, it's encouraged to be on the lookout for public hearings in the upcoming months, which will be heavily utilized within this plan to gain community insight. In today's feature report, Big Talk producer Michael Glab speaks with Hannah Gregory, Forestry Director of Canopy Bloomington. Canopy Bloomington is a social impact organization created to maximize Bloomington's tree canopy and sustainably manage Bloomington's urban forest. We turn to an expert of that interview from Big Talk. Hannah Gregory is in charge of operations. Canopy Bloomington has been in existence since uh, the first half of the year 2021. So it's a reasonably new organization. They're concerning themselves with the canopy here in Bloomington. What are you doing about it? We are aiming to plant and sustainably manage Bloomington's urban forest. Um, So we're starting off with community tree plantings is our big initiative this year and will be our biggest initiative going forward as well. We also aim to help educate homeowners and other folks in Bloomington to cooperatively take care of our urban canopy. And additionally, we're hoping to get kids and um, the youth of Bloomington involved as well. We just had our first run of our Youth Tree Tenders program this past summer, where we hired on four high school age students, and they helped us take care of trees in Bloomington Switchyard Park. Well, why do we need more trees? Well, in Bloomington specifically, we found that in the 2019 Canopy Assessment Report, we found that Bloomington's losing tree canopy cover, especially on private property. So the city themselves is limited in reaching canopy goals because they can't plant on private properties, but that is where we're seeing um, most of the tree canopy decline. So there needs to be an organization like us to bridge 
property owners and the city so that we can help reach these large canopy goals. We need trees because they help uh, manage stormwater, they provide sound barriers, they can provide food if they're fruit trees. Trees are just a really important natural asset to uh, communities like Bloomington. Now being a homeowner myself and having a lot of trees, I do know that when a tree gets to a certain age, comes to be about time to cut that thing down or else it's going to fall right on my roof. Is that a wise thing to do? Yeah, so I always recommend having a tree um, be looked at by a certified arborist. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of certified arborists in town. I actually just became a certified arborist two weeks ago. Wow. Um, so there are professional folks that you can have come and look at your tree. Sometimes a tree looks like it needs to come down, but it's a perfectly healthy tree. Um, it might just need some trimming. And it generally is more cost-effective to manage the tree, so to prune it um, than have it come down because trees can be really expensive to come down. But that's one of the things. Don't that I know it? Yeah. yeah. Especially those ash trees that are really large. And they were all killed off by the emerald ash borer disease, which hit in uh, around 2012 in Bloomington. Yeah, I remember. I remember when that was coming up. And you couldn't bring firewood into the state parks for that very reason. Exactly. Yeah, so that the emerald ash borer caused a, a huge t- canopy decline across the Midwest and Bloomington and the IU's campus is still bouncing back and they're still seeing uh, the decline of the ash trees. Although some are being treated and are bouncing back in health, which is good. How did this whole canopy Bloomington idea get off the ground? Who who came up with it? So Cheryl Woodhouse, who's a local entrepreneur and business owner or business founder, and Sarah Mincy, who's an urban forest management professor at IU. She also is a managing director for the Environmental Resilience Institute and the Integrated Program of the Environment. They got together and they had um, a similar interest in uh, creating a a organization like Canopy Bloomington to bridge the city's canopy cover goals and also just help grow the uh, canopy in Bloomington and the education around urban forestry in Bloomington. So they got together and they created this organization in early 2021. And then I was the first hire as a forestry director in June of 2021. You were talking about the trees here in the city, and you said there are trees on private land, and so obviously that means there must be trees on Mm city-owned land. Where primarily are the trees on city-owned land? So on city-owned land, there's something called the public right-of-way. So the public right-of-way, it varies, but it generally is 8 to 10 feet off the street um, and into folks' yards. Mm -hmm. So if there's sidewalks, it's that strip of land that's between the sidewalk and the street. And if there's not sidewalks, and this is where it gets a little iffy and a lot of people don't know about the public right-of-way, if you live in city limits, any land that is between 8 and 10 feet off of the road, it might look like your property, but it's technically city-owned property, and any tree that falls within that um, is city-managed, and then additionally, park trees, so city-owned parks. So conceivably, the city could come along and cut down that tree for whatever purpose, yeah. and you know, you say, hey, that's my tree. <laughs> yeah, um, which can, I guess, can be favorable in some cases if you need a tree to come down because it's really expensive to remove trees, so the city can take care of that for you if it falls on the right-of-way property. But um, the city only ever removes trees is if absolute necessary because they'll have to replace it as well. So, and by replace it, uh, you mean well, uh, do you plant a seed 
or do you do you go to a, a, a nursery and find a tree that's already grown? How does that work? So with Canopy Bloomington, we order our trees from Woody Warehouse, which is a native plant nursery based out of Liston, Indiana. They grow, I think, 80% of their trees from native seeds foraged around the Midwest. So they're locally seed grown. We order our stock from there. So we order all native trees. And the trees that we order are between... 1.25 and 1.5 inches in diameter at breast height, which just means a diameter. Um, And they're generally five to seven feet tall. Now, I understand that that's uh, generally an older tree than might normally be planted. You don't do saplings. Why don't you do saplings? So we don't do saplings because saplings are generally more for planting in natural environments. So you see a lot Uh, of reforestation efforts planting saplings. Saplings have a lower survivability rate. um, So you have to plant more to be able to uh, make up for the ones that are going to die off because they just don't have the same um, oomph that the larger trees have. So we plant larger trees that provide um, immediate benefits. Trees do take time to, you know, provide shade and stormwater management benefits that uh, we know that trees provide once they're large. But by planting a tree that's between five and seven feet tall, you're going to already start creating shade with that tree, and it's going to have a higher survivability rate than uh, planting a sapling. Now, one of the reasons, as we say, that uh, Canopy Bloomington came into being was that Bloomington was losing Mm -hmm. trees for a million reasons. Yeah. But primarily, what? So it's mostly a combination of a few things. Ah. Development um, is a large one. And then also climate change stressors. So things like the emerald ash borer, which was an invasive pest, which caused a huge decline in ash trees, which are one of the most populated species in Bloomington and in the Midwest. Uh Um, So I would say development, climate change, and just like environmental stress factors in general, urban trees just don't live as long as trees in a natural environment. And um, stressors like soil compaction and stuff, everything that an urban tree deals with just causes it to to decline faster than a tree in a natural setting. Now, you say development, but it would seem to me that if, let's say, you're building a a row of houses, well, the trees are in front of the house. Why do you have to knock the trees down? The development that I guess I'm speaking of is just removing trees from a large swath of land that didn't have or that was consisting highly of trees and uh-huh. then were completely removed to build homes. Because even if those trees are replaced, they're sur- still not going to replace the amount of benefits that it, like a, an entire woodlot would be benefiting. Yeah, you bet. Because now there are buildings on that lot. Exactly. And they're just, they're generating heat of their own. Exactly. So and carbon dioxide yeah, too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's re- replacing a once permeous surface or permeable surface with an impervious surface like home homes and roads and sidewalks. Aha. Uh-huh. And we can do with maybe a little bit less of that because these trees, as you say, provide these important environmental services, shall we say. As I say, the tree takes carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, transforms it into oxygen through photosynthesis, I think you know this stuff better than I do, but am I, I'm on the right path Yeah, here, right? absolutely. And with planting trees, as a tree grows, the uh, benefit producing or the 
capacity to produce benefits increases. And it's mostly because of the least leaf surface area. Uh-huh. So the larger the tree grows, the larger the um, canopy or the crown of the tree grows. And then it can intercept more water. So that's how it manages stormwater, um, produces more shade. It can even reduce uh, or improve energy savings of buildings by uh, providing shade and um taking some of the stress off of an air conditioning unit. Uh Um, So yeah, so the larger the tree grows, the more benefits it can provide. Big Talk airs each Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. You can find the program online at wfhb.org or listen to wherever you get your podcasts. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noelle Herhusky-Snyder in partners with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Michael Glapp. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young for WFHB. I'm Deke Hager. And I'm Lucy Kellison. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 